This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, this episode is going to be a little bit all over the place um, because we're doing a Q&A today. It's been a hot minute since I've last done one of those and I have been accumulating a good pool of questions um, to answer so we'll see how many questions we'll be able to get through this episode. Um, but questions that, you know, friends have asked me, people have emailed in or messaged in and asked, and just things that I'm personally curious about and kind of want to mull over with y'all on the show. Um, so to kick off the Q&A, the first question that I kind of want to unpack a little bit is, what is actually racist or, you know, am I a racist? Um, I've gotten like a variation of those of that question a couple of times and um, that is a really interesting question I feel. Um, off the bat I will say the aversion to the R word is very strong. <laughs> I think as a society we stray so far from saying something is racist or calling it out for what it is um I think we're still okay with the terms ignorant or privileged um but I think we really struggle with saying something is racist um or someone's behaviors or intentions actions are racist I think we still um really struggle with that and I think it's because you know there is that connotation of um if you're a racist you are a bad person um and I think there's also those really strong connotations with racists are you know the kind of people who like were in the KKK and like had very openly um violent actions you know towards marginalized folks and um I think because we do avoid the words so much therefore there is this really really high threshold for like for when saying something is racist um the threshold is really high um for example one of my younger brothers he is at high school at the moment and has been getting severely bullied um for his race you know kids constantly coming up to him and saying really harmful things like oh so when are you going to go pick cotton or all the other things along those lines you know just not great stuff and so now my brother is kind of in a sticky situation because we all know he would be getting in trouble if he dealt with it on his own if you know what I mean um but the school 
is not really being that helpful in terms of calling that behavior out um, and so now my brother has the label of a narc when actually the person or the people who have been treating him like that they should be facing some kind of repercussion but right now there's nothing and like actually my brother is speaking up and trying to seek support from the school who have not backed him up have now left him in a vulnerable situation where he's just being called a narc and the bullying is still happening um and the ref like the school's refuse refusal to kind of call out that behavior for what it is it really irks me um but i think it's something that we see quite often um people are really really hesitant to use certain labels um for example one thing that honestly just gets really under my skin and it sips me quite a lot is the fact that we don't even say christchurch terrorist attack it's always shooting attack or you know what happened in Christchurch um, it's always so vague but it was a terrorist attack and I feel like in the media when we're talking about things even on a casual basis if it happened somewhere else there is absolutely no hesitation to say terrorist attack um, but for whatever reason when it comes to Christchurch we are so hesitant to say terrorist attack and it actually undermines like what happened um like it's so easy as a society to label muslims as terrorists but when actually an act of terror is done against us you know we're calling it a shooting attack um which is really upsetting because you know, we had so much conversation in Corridor around, you know, making a change, making a difference and saying, you know, they are us. But, you know, the first small step that we could take is just actually saying terrorist attack. Um, so I think before we even get to answering the question, like, what is a, like, what's racist, what's the what yeah what is considered um, racist or am I a racist um, I think we should have a conversation about you know why are we so hesitant when it comes to that word and because of our hesitant nature that means there is a really really high threshold before we use that word and because of that high threshold there's a lot of behavior that is low-key gets accepted and normalized which I think is just BS because if we're not going to call something for what it is unless it meets this ridiculously high threshold how are we ever going to change how are we ever going to progress um, and it's not like I'm saying these things and I don't understand. There is that really deep feeling of shame. Um, there, yeah, there very much is that deep feeling of shame when someone tells you that your behavior is um, racist. Because that's happened to me before and it is a really uncomfortable feeling. It really
really is but I think we have to put our side our ego um, put us out yeah put us out our egos and kind of get to the conversation that's um, on the other side yeah get to the conversation that's on the other side because that's where the learning happens and that's where the growth happens but our aversion to using the R word um, I think is very problematic um, but in terms of getting to the question what is racist well I can give you a definition off the bat right like any harm that is done to a group purely based on their um, skin color but I think in terms of how does that translate to behaviors and even on a casual basis on a micro micro level what does that actually look like and then we have to look beyond that definition of that kind of one-on-one connection right in terms of your behavior what you say all that kind of stuff we also have to think about it systemically as well right there is a lot of systemic racism where certain groups will always be disadvantaged like the system does not serve the interests of particular groups um and at the same in the same breath um will always support and back and um, uplift a certain population so there are so many like there are lots of definitions for you know what is racism am I being a racist but I think where I think the boundaries kind of blur because um, I actually was thinking about this the other day accents um I don't know if anyone else does this, but I just honestly have this funny habit of just breaking out into like a British accent or like an American accent. Just, it just comes randomly. Um, and then it was a wee... Yeah, it was... This actually happened quite a few times. And someone like also broke out into an accent, but it was... Um, if it's an accent from like African or Asian content people really raise their eyebrows and they're like that is racist now now I'm not here saying what's wrong what's right but (laughs) I definitely think there are some gray areas and we need to have a conversation about that more but I think if you're most likely asking that question then the answer is I mean, probably yes, um, and I think we need to have a conversation about, well, what's the difference between being a racist and then just being ignorant, because um, there have been so many times in the past where I, had, I have said something and it's just not okay, um, and because of my lived experiences and biases like the things that I have said that are damaging have were in my blind spot like I just had no awareness at all um but you know I've learned I've grown I now I know better so I do better and it's no longer in my blind spot but um 
you know, I just like to think of that as me being ignorant as opposed to being racist. But is it also that conversation? Is it also, you know, it doesn't matter what my intention was, it was still racist at the end of the day. It was still racist even though you were um, ignorant. That was still harmful. That was still like a racist thing to say. Um, and in that case, I think we need to move away from that connotation of being racist speaks to your whole character, your whole personality. Um, I think we still have a lot of work to do in terms of um, shame and if we truly want change to happen um, you know we need to move away from that connotation because we're not out here saying people are horrible but that behavior you know is harmful and how do we have those productive conversations about it and and move away from that like I'm just now that we're talking about this I'm just thinking of this time where um, I called my sister out and I called her out in like in front of a group so it wasn't just one-on-one and I called her out for being racist and um, that was a horribly uncomfortable situation um, because my sister felt a huge sense of shame which, you know, makes sense. I, I would also hate being called a racist in front of everyone else. Um, yeah, this huge sense of shame. And um, she got really defensive. But I was like, no, but you are a racist. You are a racist. Just embrace it. Um, and it was incredibly uncomfortable. And I... And now that I think back on it, I wish I, first of all, had that conversation with her one-on-one. And I wish I didn't say, you are a racist. I, I wish I removed her from the term racist. And because I completely just ruined her sense of, like, self-worth, I think, at that point. By the, attaching that to her character as opposed to her behavior um and I think like if you if you want to have this corridor with people that you truly know and love in your life like your friends and your family um saying that they are a racist racist is never helpful um that will never lead to a productive conversation um because it's not them it's like their behavior so to yeah I made a huge mistake saying that my sister wasn't a racist I should have said your your behavior um but if yeah if you are wanting to have that conversation yeah don't do what I did um and yeah going back to the original question so I feel like I'm digressing a little bit um yeah if you are kind of questioning is your is my behavior racist um well then you then should be asking yourself who 
is this harming anyone? Is will everyone actually find this funny? And if the answer is no, then just don't say it. <laughs> just don't say it. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of things that kind of are in the grey. Um, like for example. There, I'm a pretty chill Muslim, right? And so there are some things that I'm like, oh, haha, that is actually funny. But I know for a fact that there would be a lot of Muslim people out there who would take huge offense to that. Um, so, yeah, there definitely are great areas. But instead of asking, am I a racist? Um, first of all, it should be thought of, is this behavior um, racist is this behavior harmful um and there should be uh i think a better reframe to think about um a question like a question like that um because i f i truly feel it's just not helpful um ascribing a person to being a racist um like i just normally leads to really unproductive conversations um, which are not helpful we do not have time for that in 2022 um, so a reframe of is this behavior harmful is this behavior racist um and to answer that question there are so many different ways to answer that question i mean your intuition, your gut, your education. I think the more that you know, you will be able to um, answer that question um, because the more education that you have, the more light you're shining on a particular, you know, issue or cause or community and the chances of that behavior kind of sitting in your blind spot reduces right the more education that you have um, so that is the answer to that question okay next question is um, okay I'll read this one word word for word because it's it's quite an interesting one um, so this question is hey um, I have been listening to your podcast but also I've been doing a lot of education um, on my own ie reading books watching documentaries reflecting um, having a chat with my friends and family and um, I have realized that my actions and thoughts in the past um, were definitely very harmful and ignorant and dare I say racist and I feel this huge sense of regret and I'm so sorry um, what can I do with this feeling and um, yeah I noticed that how in the question they had that wording of and dare I say racist it kind of links back to that sense of hesitancy that I was saying before um, we are so um, yeah we're so cautious with the R word um, yeah so peep the hesitancy um, but this is a very interesting question and something that I actually have 
gotten quite a lot like this sense of guilt and shame and like oh my gosh I'm so sorry what can I do and the first thing that I want to say off the bat um, in response to this question is um, you know especially as a woman of color I have been in this situation um, quite a few times where you know um, my Pakeha friends and, and colleagues will have this you know they all have this huge awakening to something that is you know my lived experience um, and something that um, you know you try to speak out about but it's invisible or people just can't hear you kind of like what my brother is going through right now right he's tried to talk to the school and there's just been nothing on their end even though he is clearly going through going through this right and so and I've been in that boat too where you try to speak up and say something and you you directly tell people who have been harming you like hey this is actually not okay like why the heck are you treating my like my me like this because that is not okay and it's like it definitely just falls on deaf ears and so when I have been approached by a Pakeha person who has just kind of had this awakening to this um, huge sense of pain that I am, I've felt so sharply and so deeply um, and for them to kind of I mean I know they mean well like I know they mean well but to kind you know bring their their guilt and their shame and their sense of sadness is not helpful to me because you know as a victim of racism why on earth should I be you know comforting someone who's just aware to what it is rather than um have learned about it because they've experienced it like if you've learned about it by reading and watching documentaries I'm sorry but I just do not have the capacity to like help you navigate um through that shame and guilt um and I think there are a lot of people of color who have also had this experience of like, you know, Pakeha people kind of putting their, their guilt on them and the I'm sorry's. And, you know, it's a lot, there's already a lot of stuff to carry and to carry that is honestly too much. Um, and so respectfully, uh, you know, I, un, I understand the intentions. I mean, it is a horrible thing and I can imagine if you're learning about it, um, and especially just kind of feeling this huge, um, the sharp, like acute attention towards it now. Because I can imagine it's just something that has been completely in the dark, right? And then to have this huge awareness and realize the wrongs that have been done, it must be a lot. But also at the same time, I mean, just don't dump your feelings on someone who has, who knows about it because unfortunately they've experienced it. Um, it's not helpful and it's not a helpful emotion. Um, like the way people have said, I'm sorry to me, it's as if like they have actively been part of 
in it and it's like no I know you're not we're all just kind of stuck in the system right but what would actually be more helpful is moving past that guilt and having productive conversations about well how can we change and how can we inspire other people to change um, because that's where the true learning lies um, and that's what would be more helpful than this guilt that we um, this guilt that actually brings us nowhere at the end of the day all right so the next question is what can i do as a pakiha man you know which inherently has a lot of privilege what can i do to help uh raise other voices um there's also a very interesting question and a question that comes up quite a lot, um, which is, what can I do? Um, and the reason why I wanted to answer this question after the previous question is, is, you know, moving through the guilt and getting to this stage of what can I do is the most helpful thing, um, the most helpful thing you can do um, to kind of change the situation that we are currently in because you know I as an individual I believe that all of our emotions are just like visitors and each visit has a purpose um, and if you can move through the guilt to kind of motivate you to get to the action changing part that is that's amazing um that is amazing and I think um that guilt is yeah not productive as I was saying at all but this question this question is very productive um because we will need everyone um, all hands on deck to kind of change this situation. Um, the more, the yeah, the longer that I've been hosting this show and kind of just having more conversations in the race space, um, I've noticed that it's always the loudest voices in this space are coming from those who do live uh, live with it and experience it. Um, but that's exhausting um, because if no one's listening, it's kind of like you're shouting into the wind and it's coming right back at you. But what we actually need is ears on the other side who are actually listening and then following those ears are a pair of helping hands who then go on and help because we don't need to be sitting in an echo chamber Um with no one really responding this needs to be a korero this needs to be a conversation and so therefore there needs to be a back and forth but to be a back and forth there needs to be um ears on the other side who are willing to listen um willing to listen because 
you know, tokenism is very much a real thing. And I've been invited into spaces um, where I think people are going to listen, but actually the experience of the wind throwing it back in my face <laughs> has definitely happened. Um, and, you know, for like whoever this person is that um, asked this question, um, I really appreciate that you're just like acknowledging your privilege and then saying, what can I do to help? And the following things that I'm going to say are things that we've probably heard um, time and time again. But honestly, the small things really make a huge difference. And listening is so, like just so important and it means a lot um, when people are just listening and also making room on the table for those voices that aren't heard like if in your leadership or management it's not very diverse well ask asking those questions of well why isn't it diverse and you know if there are voices on your team that aren't normally heard well then creating that space and being like hey like what do you think or we should have this voice in the room or in this meeting um because you know it sound seems like we're getting there in terms of diversity and um having more voices at the table but the higher up you go it's still quite white to be honest and our processes of designing things and um consultation and um you know when it comes to positions that really have the power to make the change there is very much a lack of diversity um and you know we can't keep on yelling at the top of our lungs like we need to be on the table like we need people to fight for us to be at the table as well and so that's what I was meaning before with like all hands on deck and so if you can have that conversation with your friends and family as well that would be amazing because that is a ripple effect when you start having those conversations with other people and they have that awareness it just keeps on um moving into other groups and into other spaces so use your voice and privilege to like really extend the invitation and if you don't see the diversity around you questioning why and really having that conversation with your family and your friends um because your family and friends will then go on and have like that conversation with like their friends and their family as well and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and I think the conversations that you have with people on a personal level are really really eye-opening um really eye-opening like you honestly cannot assume anything you cannot assume anything and I think if you're able to have those conversations in your personal life like the people that you truly love and spend most of your time with that means a lot um, um of course you know you have those conversations at work and in all your other spaces but I I feel like the most transformative conversations kind of happen with um people in your 
inner circle um, yeah that is that has been so helpful and like the reason why I say those ones tend to be transformative is yeah, when you do like read books and watch documentaries which are very very helpful um, you know it's more coming from that information facts kind of side but when you're having those conversations with your friends and family people that you love and trust there is that sense of vulnerability there is that trust already and so you get to that emotional level and when you get to that emotional level you can access the stories that you truly tell yourself about something and often those stories that you truly tell yourself um you know information and facts may bring awareness to it but if you're coming from that emotional story point of view it just connects with your heart a lot deeper I think um I'm just trying to think of um I'm just trying to think of an example um Okay, so this example is, um, oh, this one actually, now that I'm thinking on it, kind of hurts my heart that I used to think like this. But anyways, um, you know, and I, I've spoken about this on the show before. I used to get um, bullied for, um, you know, being black and I'd always have just really silly racist comments um, at school as well. And... Um, you know, I still haven't been to Somalia, but back then I really knew nothing about Somalia. And um, Arbor, which is Somali for um, dad, my Arbor would um, get me like books. And oh my God, back in the day we had encyclopedias and encyclopedias about Africa. And he would get me to read it. And, you know, it would have amazing histories of like, bustling cities and amazing trade and like this wealth of natural resources and you know just a, a beautiful beautiful city uh, I mean country with with lots going on um, and I think he was trying to get like us kids to read that so we knew that you know how things are right now it wasn't always like that and um but it just kind of, it just definitely went over my head. And I remember there was this one day, because some, you know, my parents don't really sit down and like talk in depth about what it was like back home, um, which is fair enough. I could think thinking back on when we were all growing up, they had a really big job of all of these kids who were so close in age raising us in a foreign country right and they definitely were in survival mode and when you're in survival mode there's not really that much time for storytelling but it was one of the first times that we had like story time and Abu and Hoya were telling us what it was like back home and like hearing like imagining little versions of them having what they had and going through what they did and um 
Like I really connected with that. Like I connected with that way more than what I read in the encyclopedias and stuff. And um, it made me feel so happy and, and so excited and, and so proud. And it wasn't until we had that story time session, it made me realize that I internalized that racism so much that the story that I told myself about Somalia and I think by extension Africa in general is that it's a very backwards place um very yeah very backwards and uncivilized and um so rife with poverty um that we could never ever get um our way out of it and it was like all our fault which now that I'm saying that out loud it really hurts me like I actually can feel my heart like oh right now but I really internalized that racism so much like that was a core story that I told myself about Africa because I just didn't believe that there was another way and I think if we didn't have that story time I'd probably still be carrying like a variation of that core story with me which is that really hurts my heart um but have that conversation with your friends and your family um and use that personal storytelling to help you get to the core stories um because it's not until you change the core stories where the real change happens and the next question is can you unpack a social construct and that is actually a really interesting question um it's something that we interact with forms our belief systems our values the way that we look at this world um and the way that we process our lived experiences so much Um, It's so embedded into our lives, but if you don't have a conversation about it, you just have no awareness. And and it's so interesting, like when you're on the journey of unlearning and relearning and um, unpacking things, like understanding what a social construct is and the role that it plays in our lives is so important, um, so integral to you know this this journey um for a lack of a better word um so what is a social construct um it is like a structure that informs our belief system what our values are um and the thing about social constructs is that it's everywhere but it's something that we can we can't change if we have the intention to um the uh, yeah the intention to do it um i mean it takes time because it is a cultural change changing a social construct um but it is it can be changed that is the the underlying thing but it takes it's collective changing because it takes a society to be like okay actually this is what we say about this and this is how we believe this or maybe the social construct could be there is no way we should think about it but here are the here is how we support people to have their own opinions 
so we know that social constructs are super important to how we view this world but what actually are they so as i was saying before like social constructs are very theoretical they're not like a physical structure um, but they exist because of us like as people because like the way that we interact with each other um, and we agree because of our interactions we agree that this thing exists a really good example of a social construct would be countries um, because of human interaction we would have had to agree and say this thing is a country this is what constitutes as a country um, and even borders as well that is a bit of a social construct because then we would have had to agree okay well okay these things are countries and this is where this country ends and this country begins um, money is also a social construct um, and race is a social construct as well I suppose because from our interactions with each other we would have said okay these people with different skin colours and physical features are this race and this race has physical features and skin colours like this um, so they're all things that we collectively agree upon and these are the social constructs that we are raised in as well and as I was saying before they can change because if it's something that we choose to agree on and if it's coming from the way that we interact with each other if we interact with each other differently then so can our social constructs they can be um they can be changed um another great example of a social construct is gender and the way that we we think about it right i mean before it was and I'm, we're still having this conversation before it was like biological one out of the two two options and that's it um but even the way that we think about gender as well the fact that like women are meant to be more nurturing and guys are the aggressive physical ones those are all just social constructs and we live in these social constructs and you know that's where our biases come from and that's where our stereotypes come from thinking about these social constructs and knowing how to unpack them is super important if you want to be an ally to all communities because um, our stereotypes and our biases are definitely birthed um, from our social constructs um, I've been having this kind of relates to a conversation that I was having with a friend uh, the other day and we were just talking about um, yeah just like dating and um, dating preferences and you know if someone has particular preference or if all of the exes kind of look the same is that a red flag um, and you know our conversation went to so many different places but the conclusion that we kind of came to in the end was we are very much brought up in our social constructs right and the social construct that we've all kind of been raised in is that you know 
Euro European features or like Pakeha features are considered to be the most beautiful and and then another social construct that we come across a lot in the dating world is that um, Asian women are submissive and very meek um, and then also there's the social construct that you know if you were dating a black woman that would be you know ticking off some weird exotic fetish box um but that social construct you know it very much dehumanizes black women who can be considered partners in every full sense not just specifically um in that unidimensional way um, and because we are raised with these constructs around us and these stories surrounding us, that definitely programs our brain to think about certain groups of people in a particular way, and it programs our brain to find, you know, particular people attractive and some people not. Um, and you know, you need to understand that because social constructs are so embedded it's automatic (laughs) like your brain is actually programmed and tuned into that social construct being the reality being the norm being the automatic response um and so to unlearn a social construct and to change it um it's it's a lot of work because you are changing what your automatic what your automatic feeling is um like for me for example um and I've spoken about this before on the show you know the past two and a half years I've I've been gaining weight and you know my my have to buy new clothing size and you know getting used to this new body and um when I when it well actually no I didn't realize for such a long time because I was just busy living life to be honest um but that I remember the first time that I really really noticed um that I actually had gained a lot of weight it was like towards the end of 2020 and my automatic response was just like yuck and gross and like how can I let myself go and um actually yeah gaining weight has been a beautiful blessing in disguise because it has been a direct invitation for me to unpack the social construct that I've been raised when it comes to um, having a bigger body Um, and you know the social and I've realized that the social construct that I've been well most of us have been brought up in is that if you do have a bigger body it's something to be avoided it's gross it's unnatural um you have you know let yourself down it's not healthy um all of like everything that's going on with your body is because of your weight and nothing else because you're not even meant to be that big to begin with and it sounds so harsh saying this out loud but it wasn't until I'd I'd gained the weight and I was living in this bigger body that I realized this really harsh and toxic social construct that I'd really been programmed to and you know I 
but yeah, I've always think of myself as really open-minded and like willing to unlearn and um you know pretty switched on in that sense but it just made me realize that it doesn't matter if not that it doesn't matter but even if you have that awareness um the awareness is only one part of it because the social construct is just so automatic um so automatic to how we think and we kind of operate from that automatic level and so you know, awareness is one thing but you it is required that you do the deeper work um to change what that automatic is um and so yeah I've been doing a lot of mahi for myself the past um year or so because Honestly, my automatic brain is, frankly, quite fatphobic. Um, and, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of hard work um, trying to, and I'm still not there. I'm still not there, but it's been a lot of hard work um, kind of reprogramming my brain and changing that social construct for myself. Um, my personal follow-up question to that is how do we collectively change our social constructs um how do we change that automatic reprogramming because if we're all kind of operating from that automatic level which we do which we do and we have people in power who are making policies and people of influence who are saying okay this is what goes and they're operating from that automatic level that's really scary now how do we collectively change our social constructs but um hopefully i've unpacked that for you enough and last question for this episode is why is intersectionality so important um and this is actually a really really good question um so first of all what is intersectionality so intersectionality is acknowledging the fact that we as individuals belong to different groups and have multiple identities um and when we go forth and and live our lives we don't live life from that one uh, aspect of our personality um or not personality sorry um identity that's the word i'm looking for we don't live life from that one aspect of our identity sorry um we live life with all of our identities being encompassed into that experience right so for me i have multiple different identities um being a black woman being a migrant being a muslim um a woman um so many different things and so when i'm interacting with the world it's not coming from me just experiencing it as a black woman or a woman like i'm experiencing it with all of those things and um intersectionality is so important because it creates the room that actually honors the diversity in the room um a classic example um and i think this is why i just didn't get it i thought i wasn't a feminist for such a long time there's you know some feminism um has been dominated by pakeha women and 
Um, sure, we might all have that shared identity of being a woman, but we have all these other lived experiences as well. Like a, a black woman has a different experience to a Pakeha woman, to a Māori woman, to a Pacific woman. Like we all have so many different experiences, right? And um, and the thing that I've really struggled with feminism is that it's kind of come from this place of assuming that everyone has their basic needs met, which is not true at all. Um, but, you know, particularly Pakeha women have that privilege of having their basic needs met. So, you know, feminism in that sense is about increasing increasing the, the privilege in the sense of we're striving to thrive but a lot of our a lot of women are still striving to survive and and not even thinking about about thriving because the basic needs aren't even met but it seems like the feminist conversations just don't really acknowledge that basic need hasn't um been met and so like even in the feminist space we need to feminism space sorry we need to acknowledge that intersectionality because we don't all have one shared experience collectively just by having that shared identity of being a woman. And so when we're talking about equity and equality and striving for anti-blackness and anti-racism and creating a society that is safe for our queer and disabled community, we need to be thinking about intersectionality because there will be people who um, belong to multiple of those groups and there uh, will be people who have other identities that means they have a particular nuanced experience and so need particular needs Um, and we can't really talk about equity if we're not acknowledging the intersectionality of the different identities that are out there Um, because we will all have different um, identities that will come together to form a particular um, opinion or lived experience when talking about a certain issue and we cannot separate the identities and we cannot assume that all the identities are the same as well so that's why intersectionality is so so important um, and that will be the last question for this episode. If y'all really enjoy this like Q&A style, I will happily do it again. Um, send me in questions at any time. Um, and yeah, I think this was actually quite fun for me too. So I might be um, recording more Q&As in the future, but always send more questions in. And thank you for the questions for this episode. It's been amazing, Corridor. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. tuning in into another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarfs and Good Yarns or email us at headscarfsandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.